Listener Production. Brooke Boney is a Gamilaroi Gomeroy woman who hangs out in the living rooms of a quarter of a million Australians every weekday morning. Yama is hello in Gamilaroi Gomeroi, which is my um, native language. Boney is the entertainment reporter on Channel 9's Today. Lizzo, welcome to the Today Show. I am a huge fan. The boys from Five Seconds of Summer are in town this week and I caught up with the guys the other day. The one and only Chris Hemsworth. Hey guys, how are you? She's that smiling face sitting at the end of the couch talking about the latest Hollywood breakup laughing at Carl Stefanovic's antics or mic dropping on Australia's racism problem. If they truly want to make a difference in the way that we tell stories about who we are as a society, then we don't do that by deleting things we've done in the past. We do it by making sure that we don't do it again in the future and being more inclusive and more responsible with our storytelling. So if you're going to do change, make it meaningful. Before graduating university, Brooke Boney scored a job as the political correspondent for NITV in the press gallery at Parliament House in Canberra. She arrived in the very same week that Kevin Rudd deposed Julia Gillard as Prime Minister and returned to the top job. That was a cruisy start to her full-time working life, if there ever was one. Brooke later moved to radio and was a fan favourite on Triple J's breakfast show before today saw a star in the making. I'm the oldest of six kids, single mum, and I get to sit here on the Today Show and talk to you guys about this. I get to travel around the world with the Prime Minister and ask him questions about our issues. This is the best country in the world. Up next, The Weekend List, but now, here is my chat with Brooke Boney. Brooke, it has been a pretty big week and it began with the Women's March for Justice on Monday happening all over the country. Am I allowed to ask if you went along to one? I did go along to one. I thought about it like from the perspective of a journalist, like, you know, should journalists be going out there marching for things? And then I came to the conclusion that it's actually not radical or progressive or even it shouldn't even be a political statement to think or to ask that women are able to walk to their cars in the morning in the dark or go for a jog at night or be safe in their workplaces. Like that's just a basic human right. And so I decided to go along with my friend Lindy. I really like that. I've spoken to a few uh, women and men through the week about the marches and Several people have said that if we're going to get progress on these issues at a policy level, we have to depoliticize them. We have to suck the politics out of this and push the humanity back in again. Do you have any sense after being at those rallies, those protests on Monday that we're going to see change? Do you know, I don't know. I think that it's really difficult because they weren't asking for anything in particular. Um, you know, there wasn't a one cause that everyone was sort of uniting behind or, or you know, some sort of, um, you know, target that people wanted to meet. Uh, but I think that there is a lot to be said for symbolism and strength in numbers and, and showing people, um, you know, people in, in the broader community, politicians, that you know, people are frustrated and people are really hurting. And, you know, even just thinking about the number of women, the sheer volume of women that these issues affect, it's it can't 
be ignored anymore. I mean, obviously some people are still trying to ignore it. But I think that, you know, if, if you were wise, then you would start paying attention to these and start trying to, um, you know, design policy or, or introduce policy into the workplace or, you know, be more thoughtful about these sorts of issues going forward because this has brought up a lot for a lot of people. I know that Lifeline are getting record numbers of calls after um, Brittany Higgins came forward and spoke about her experiences to ignore that. And, and we know what the figures are around it. You'd have to think that that is really, really unwise. If nothing else, if they take that away from the marches, then I think that that's probably, you know, a pretty good job. It's been an extraordinary month of news. It does feel like it just keeps coming and coming. The sadness and those stories that really do hit you in the guts. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen three Aboriginal deaths in custody. You're an Aboriginal woman. You're also a reporter. And I want to ask Mm. how you deal with news like that and how it impacts you on a personal level. Because for a lot of people, we can kind of tune out when we need to for a bit of self-care. You have to rock up to work every day. Yeah, I have to hear it whether or not I want to. It's really, really hard. You know, that's not to say the experiences of the people who, you know, are sort of on the front line of this sort of stuff or, you know, people in communities who experience far worse things than, you know, just having to see it or report on it or or whatever. But, you know, this is also part of why I am so grateful to be able to work in entertainment at the moment because, you know, I worked down in Parliament House for a while and I was a reporter for NITV Um, You know, I worked at SBS and then at the ABC as well. And, you know, reporting on the issues that affect your community takes a a really big toll on you because you're not just talking about stories, you know, in some sort of abstract way where you're not a, a participant in them. You know that the people who are affected by the things that you're reporting on are exactly like your family or maybe they are your family. It really does take a toll. And I think if you're going to take the fight to, um, these sorts of things. And if you want to be a reporter for a very long time, then you can't afford to wallow in that for too long. You have to sort of be able to compartmentalise and and think about happier things or block it out for a little while, I think. You've been a journalist for all of your full-time career. Can you tell me what mm-hmm. first drew you to the profession? Is this something you've wanted to do since you were a kid? No, not really. Like I, um, I had a really, really lovely boyfriend who had studied journalism and I didn't really know what to do. I was a little bit lost. Um, we had a very big trauma in my family and it sort of made me think differently about the contribution that I wanted to make to the world and the way that I thought of myself in it and, you know, the whole sort of point of, of why we're here. And I, I thought, you know, I'm so sick of these stories being told about Aboriginal people without actually involving any of them in the storytelling. And so then you get this like perspective that's really othering and it really focuses on like quite negative things all the time. And that just wasn't my experience of blackness. And so I wanted to go and study journalism so I could be a part of those discussions. And, you know, at, at the beginning it was, you know, more about news reporting and, um, you know, uh, sort of getting justice for families who, whose loved ones died in custody and, you know, talking about women who were missing and, and things like that. And now it's more about, um, you know, contributing to, you know, broader national debates, you know, on the Today Show when we talk about something like, um, you know, 
the 26th of January or, um, you know, police treatment of Aboriginal people and things like that. So I feel pretty grateful that I've been able to do that pretty consistently throughout my career as a journo. When you set out and have those goals, you sort of hope that you're going to be able to do them, but you don't really know if you're going to be able to do that all the time. And I've been so lucky that I've had bosses and, and, you know, colleagues and stuff who have given me space to share that perspective. Hopefully it continues. (laughs) You mentioned Australia Day and when you first started on today, you spoke and I, I think it would have been in your in your first few weeks as a as an entertainment reporter on the show you spoke about Australia Day and it was a video of course that went viral across the country and I I would like to think most of us thought you were just talking some very good common sense but it did become a real sensation can you tell me what was going on for you at that moment because you just started in this workplace <laughs> where it's pretty unusual to have a first nations woman on set as part of the cast, the main cast, and you came out and you spoke so eloquently and so strongly. But I can't separate the 26th of January from the fact that my brothers are more likely to go to jail than they are to go to school, or that my little sisters and my mum are more likely to be beaten and raped than Mm. anyone else's sisters or mum. And that started from that day. So for me, it's a difficult day and I don't want to celebrate it. When you were speaking, did you realise how big a moment it was about to become? No, not at all. Like, I remember having the discussion. My boss called me the day before and said, "Hey, we're um, going to run a story that um, we've done with Pat Cash about the 26th of January, and then we might have a bit of a chat off the back. And we thought you might want to be involved." And I was like, "Oh yeah, like this is what I think. This is probably what I'll say. Um, is that all right?" And he was like, "Yeah, of course, jump on." Um, and so we did, and I think I shared it on my Facebook and maybe on my Instagram page as well, because I thought, oh, I'm I'm proud of this moment. I, I really want to for people to see it. And obviously, like I had no idea that you know what was about to happen over the next few days. It was really so much bigger than what I thought it was going to be or could have been. I don't I don't know that anything could have prepared me for the next couple of days. I'm mates with Goodsy and I had, um, I remember having lunch with him or maybe it was a phone call or something like not long after. And I said, I'm so scared to talk about these things now because I know what's coming. And he was just like, you have to just keep going, just keep going. Don't be scared of them. Like, don't be scared of it. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, I always try to think of, of him or, you know, of other really strong people who have, um, you know, said things that they believe or, you know, say things that they think should be said you know, if if we don't say them, then sort of what's the point of having the job in the first place or, or, you know, going through the whole process of trying to get this job and then, you know, getting it and getting up for work every day if you don't speak your truth when it matters. I want to talk about entertainment because entertainment reporting for me is often that moment of break when I'm watching the news, whether it's in whether it's in the morning or in the evening, and not break as in I walk off and do something else. Break as in my mind needs a moment sometimes for the heaviness of the rest of the news to go away and to just speak about something fun and interesting and engaging and kind of hear about people. What is it that draws you to entertainment reporting and what makes it worthwhile and fun for you? There are so many wonderful conversations that I get to have with people who I really, really admire. One of my favourite interviews that I've ever done 
was with John Malkovich um, and it was for, is it Space Force, I think is the TV show that he started in last year. And, you know, having conversations with people who think really deeply and who, you know, sort of take their craft really seriously, sometimes it's, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, here we go. But other times it is so wonderful and you sort of just pinch yourself and think, I have like a chat, like a one-on-one with someone who is probably like one of the most thoughtful people I've ever come across or will ever come across in my life. And that's my job. Who's been the interview you've been most nervous about? And I'm not talking, you know, the schoolgirl nervous. I'm just talking like the nerves that come when you want to do a really good job. I remember being really nervous. Um, Not like nervous as in, like you said, schoolgirl nervous, but like really wanted to do a great job when I went in to interview Jim Carrey. And so when you go to these junkets in Hollywood, um, which used to happen all the time <laughs> before the pandemic, um, you know, the, the movie studios will organise for you to be there and you're sitting there in the hallway of this really flash hotel in LA and they've got like a bunch of them that they use and they have like these buffets where you can go and have like lunch and stuff before and the food is amazing by the way and then you're just sitting there waiting for um for this interview so there's journalists from all over the world and and from Hollywood and you're just sort of waiting there and then they call out your name and the the movie star stays in in the hotel room and so they sort of set it up all of the cameras and things and then they give you the tape at the end or the the card the disc and so I was sitting there in the hallway after this woman walked out and she was like oh like this is rough I walked in and sat down and he was so lovely and he was so warm and so friendly. He was telling me all about the things that he'd cooked for dinner the night before. He was like making jokes and you sort of got a a real sense of, you know, him as a person, like just sort of hanging out or whatever. But then also when you spend time with someone face-to-face, you can see the sort of depth of the stuff that's going on. And those are the sorts of moments where you you're really like, wow, you know, I grew up watching like Ace Ventura or like uh, me, myself and Irene or, or whatever else we used to watch him in. And then you, you're seeing this person in real life, all of these things that you've read about them, all of these things that you've, you know, wanted to ask them, you, you finally get to sit there and talk to them. And it's pretty, um, yeah, it's pretty surreal, I have to say. You've been, unsurprisingly, covering the royal family a fair bit since Harry and Meghan's interview with Oprah. And I know you've also been writing in this space and I was hoping you could take us through your thoughts for a moment on why it feels like people in the community simply don't believe Meghan Markle's story. You know, it was really difficult to see the reaction to the interview. And look, I'll just say like, there were parts of the interview that I found pretty cringy, you know, like when they were walking through the chicken coop with the rescue chickens and she's talking about this like little mermaid analogy and then at the end she says oh and then mermaid the princess found her voice like I too found all of that like a little bit naff but then there's the sort of more the darker and and more sinister this sinister things around like the color of the baby's skin or you know just broadly their treatment of her I was so dumbfounded that people would be so reluctant to believe that a family, one of the most powerful families in the world, has been outplayed or outsmarted or bullied by an individual when this family has maintained power in this country for hundreds of years. But there's this reluctance to believe that 
anything racist could happen. And rather than acknowledge that that could be possible, I mean, Prince Philip, I'm glad that he's he's doing better and he's out of hospital now. But he said some pretty red hot stuff over the last hundred years that he's been alive. You know, a lot of pretty racist stuff. And so rather than believe that, that this person or that person or the, anyone in the family is capable of doing it, they'd sooner call her a liar. And colonial racism, you know, literally going out to countries, colonizing them and saying, our ideas, our way of living, our belief systems are superior to yours in every way. So we're going to colonize you and we're going to try to annihilate your culture and your beliefs and in some cases your people. We're so reluctant to believe that they're capable of asking whether or not a baby's skin is going to be brown or that was what was baffling about it to me that people were taking sides and the evidence just wasn't stacking up for me. Brooke, I want to thank you so much for being on the weekend briefing, but more than that, for being this really warm, funny, clever voice of reason on our TV screens who can talk about everything from pop culture to politics and, of course, the royal family. Thank you so much for being with us. <laughs> Jamila, thank you so much. That's really lovely. And thank you for um, for all of your work in the Women's March stuff this week as well. I think a lot of people will be really grateful for the strength that you show during these times because it's really hard for people to come forward and you know a lot of people have been suffering in silence for a very long time so the trying times it's nice to have strength in numbers and you know uh, from the sisterhood it was such a pleasure speaking to brooke boney today i really hope that that interview gave you a bigger and broader picture of who brooke is we see her talking to TV stars and movie stars every morning on our screens. But she has a whole lot to add to the conversation. And if this conversation today brings anything up for you or you need to talk to someone about sexual assault or family violence, you can always call the National Line, which is 1-800-737-732 or 1-800-RESPECT. Up next, The Weekend List. Welcome to The Weekend List with me, Jamila Rizvi, and the inimitable Tate McGregor. Tate, I need something to do. I have spent far too much time inside the last few weeks with a puppy who, oh, anyway, he can go out now. I can go out. I can do things. What should I do? Alexander Hamilton is in town in Sydney. Hamilton the Musical is kicked off this week and it is Phenomenal, Jamila, I caught this one in New York on Broadway and I'm so excited to see it in Australia. So make sure you grab those hot tickets and head along. There's also a $10 ticket lottery that you might get lucky and win. Jamila, what have you been sitting at home and watching then? I have been watching Ginny and Georgia on Netflix, which the algorithm served up to me. It's kind of like a modern day Gilmore Girls. It's all about the relationship between mother and daughter and mum is kind of the wild child, still thinks she's 17 and the daughter is a little bit more mature. The daughter is also a woman of colour and so she's experiencing the world in a way that is very particular to the moment in time that it's set and it's super watchable. I have honestly really enjoyed it. You know who's sexy? Skinny nerdy guy in your biology class. Have sex with that guy. Bang, future Mark Zuckerberg. Have you learned nothing from Romy and Michelle? What? Nervous I might tap into your weed supply? Mommy, I'm not banging anyone because I'm not you. 
I'm going to have to get my binge on then, Jamila, but I have something that I want to get your ears across. It's Brooke Boney's podcast that she's got out with Linda Mariano. It's called Brooke and Linda's Dream Club, and it's just the two tastemakers in the industry giving you a wrap-up of the most important moments in culture each week. So if you want to hear some intellectual conversation about music, movies, what's happening in the world, mental health, then tune into Brooke and Linda's Dream Club. It publishes 6am every Wednesday. And would you say that we're tastemakers? I mean, I think we totally started Yeet! And you're proud of that, are you? Yes! <laughs> That's it for the weekend briefing. Make sure you come back to us on Monday morning, bright and early. Get the briefing in your headphones. Tom and Annika will be here serving up the day's headlines. Listener.